0: Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. This is episode 81 in our podcast series. We began it back in April. We're starting to wind down 2020, which will go down in history. And a lot of, a lot of people's minds It's not necessarily a good one. So what are we doing for this podcast? Uh, well, we're going to have a debate, a discussion, a conversation between myself and I've been uh, licensed in Florida since 1995, uh, for a real estate brokerage. And I uh, arrived here in 1993. I was a journalist a long time, uh, went full-time real estate, uh, consulting other things. I did that back in 2006. So I am on one side and I would say I'm probably more on the pessimistic or the bear side and who is more on the bull side, which is more optimistic. That is a person I've known for, whew, 15, 20 years. Her name is Beth Butler. She's a regional director of new development for the Southeast for Compass Real Estate. Uh, Beth is basically the one who got the uh, Compass uh, brand going down here in South Florida. I think it's a New York based firm um, that has uh, plans and visions of uh, turning using technology as well as uh, know how to bring it all together to make uh, real estate, um, uh, the real estate business, residential real estate business, uh, much more effective and efficient. They're a disruptor, if you will. So, um, Beth, who has her own podcast called From the Ground Up, and it's over on simplecast.com, her and I um, are doing a joint songcast. We're basically going to discuss um, what do we think is going on. So her podcast, uh, or this podcast you're going to listen to, it also appears on Beth's site, as well as it appears on my site. So what are some of the things we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, what's going on in the lending industry. What are What are financiers saying? We're going to talk about uh, where do you actually put your money? Say you want to come and you want to play, you want to park some cash right now, where do you put it? Does it make sense to go in a single-family house market, which is uh, extremely, extremely, extremely robust right now, especially pricing Or do you maybe go into condos? Or do you just skip residential altogether and you look at commercial? So we're gonna discuss that. Um, We will also sort of discuss what's the outlook for 2021? What are people doing? Also talk about the, the whole new breed or herd of new realtors who've come in the industry do they know what the hell they're talking about? And how do you sort of figure out if you have a realtor, um, whether or not it's the right one for you? So we're going to talk about all that. And then finally, um, as part of Beth's podcast uh, from the ground up again on Simplecast, uh, it's not something I necessarily do here on the uh, Condo Vulture podcast, but we're going to have a lightning round. Beth is going to ask me a bunch of personal questions. I don't typically talk about personal stuff, but I'm going to do it for this particular podcast. So if you're a regular listener of our podcast and you see this uh, lightning round, uh, that is all the result of Beth, her relationship and my trust, uh, relationship with me and my trust for her to go ahead and answer some of these questions that I typically try to avoid uh, at all costs because I always like to make it about the numbers, not necessarily about me. So all of that being said, before we get started, let me point out a couple things to you. Um, if you uh, are not yet a subscriber to Count of Ultra's Podcast, i encourage you to do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, go ahead, give us a rating as well as leave us a comment Um, Any rating that we receive is only going to help us to propel uh, and, and help us to accomplish uh our podcast series and and uh the mission statement is to try to bring clear talk to an overhyped uh, real estate market. That's kind of what we're out to do. So, you know, the more ratings we can get and the better reviews we get, the more people who are ultimately gonna to listen to it. And then finally, if you have a comment uh, for us, I'd encourage you to go ahead and set a um comment to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I N Q U I R Y at Condovultures.com. Now that could be a criticism, could be a complaint, could be a compliment, could be a question. Could be a statement, any and all above, we wanna hear from you. So please go ahead and send us a comment if you're so um, inclined to do so. So all that being said, I want you to fasten that seatbelt, lean back, and get ready to um, learn and laugh about the outlook of the South Florida residential real estate market in 2021 from two opposing views, the bull versus the bear. Uh, You're gonna enjoy this.
1: Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condor Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condor Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condovultures Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com.
2: We are simulcasting today with the Condo Vulture Strategies for Miami Real Estate Investing, which is Peter Zaluski's podcast of condovultures.com. I'm so excited to be doing this. I first met Peter back in the uh, real estate recession, as it's now referred to, or the downturn on an ice day. And Peter was the only person back in 06 and 07 that was telling it like it was. He wasn't going in front of crowds. He wasn't sugarcoating it and saying it's going to be okay. He was basically saying, we're in a bubble and it's going to burst and it's going to be ugly. And you took a lot of heat for it, Peter, but you forever earned my admiration because you were straightforward and honest and transparent. And as far as I was concerned, a breath of fresh air, and this crazy real estate business. So welcome, and I can't wait to do a deep dive discussion with you today.
0: Beth, I'm 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 honored to be on your podcast. I'm excited, and I will tell you um, the respect is mutual. I have a lot of respect for you and everything you've done, uh, in various organizations, and now with Compass. So. Kudos to you, congrats, and I think 2021 is going to be definitely memorable and probably much more enjoyable than what we had in 2020. And one little tidbit, so you're looking at it from the ground up. I'm looking at it from the from the, from the sky down, because uh, vultures mm-hmm. like the fly, so we like to get that 30,000-foot uh, perspective.
2: <laughs> I've been really looking forward to it. And so just before we start, I want to go back just a bit. Tell me, how did you get into real estate? I know you were a reporter before, but just give us 30 seconds of background.
0: Sure. Uh, My family invested in real estate in Chicago when I was growing up. They didn't know what the hell they were doing, but they knew what they were doing. And as a result of that, I was always around it. I got into journalism and I started writing about business and real estate was a natural for me. And basically uh, the rest is history. Got to Miami in
2: 1993. 1993. So that's been a while. Going back again, I I mentioned just a few minutes ago, how I met you back in 05 and 06, and you were out there kind of you know banging the it's gonna bang you the bubble drum so to speak what were you looking at then that was telling you that the market was going to decline like kind of what signs what what indicators were you watching back then
0: well i would tell your audience i would tell my audience i tell everybody don't listen to realtors realtors don't know what the hell they're talking about <laughs> what they do hey, know i res- i resemble that <laughs> remark <laughs> What they do know is that they are on the sell side. So if you're on the sell side, that means you eat what you kill. You do a deal, you make money. You don't do a deal, you're not making money. So Realtor's the last person you should be um, uh, listening to. Who you should listen to is your lender. Why? Because a lender, nobody knows who the lender is. Nobody knows what the lender's thinking. What the lender does do is they're the ones controlling the spigot. They're the ones who are deciding what and how things are going to go down. If the lender shut it down, the game's over, and suddenly all cash buyers are the ones who are in play. And everyone knows if you're paying cash, you want a discount. If you're using leverage or finance, uh, you can pay a little bit more because it's someone else's money. So don't listen to realtors. Listen to lenders. Problem is lenders don't like to talk. And when they do talk, they're always cautiously optimistic, and they don't tell you anything. So you might talk to them an hour, and they're probably not going to tell you anything. So what I was looking at is that at the time I was a reporter. I took a pay cut into motion because I wanted to write about banking. So I went to a publication called the, real, uh, the Daily Business Review, and there I covered banking. So I got to know all the local lenders. I made it a point to go out and do a, a profile of every bank that was based in South Florida and get to know them, get to know the regulators, get to know everyone else. And before you know it, I had a great glimpse into as to what was really going on—not the, you know, a bunch of the uh, spin, uh, if you will, that the developers and the realtors are putting out. And by the way, I am a uh, licensed real estate agent, a broker, and a realtor.
2: I've been talking to a couple of one. Myself lately, and they tell me that in 2021, we're going to see more loosening of the guidelines. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, are we going to start seeing a little bit of that replay of, you know, 100% loans, no income, no asset? Are we going to start to see some of those really generous lending programs that led us to the bubble bursting? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. It's it's kind of a push-pull
0: And anybody – and I don't know what the level of the listener is, but let, let well, I'll, I'll try to keep it real simple. Generally speaking, uh, there's two types of lenders. There's private money lender who's basically putting out their own money, and then there's an FDIC lender, which is a right. bank. You know, you, you walk into a bank and you see a sign FDIC. It means the government's insuring it, and because the government's insuring it, the banks have to play by certain rules – Versus if you go to a private lender, some would call it a Shylock, you go to someone like that, they're gonna charge sort of their own uh, interest rate and they're gonna create their own rules, obviously within federal guidelines, but that's sort of the difference. So when you talk about talking to a lender, if you're talking to a mortgage broker, they might be tapping into an FDIC or they might be talking into uh, a private lender. So it tends to vary a little bit, but what I do, and what I try to do for my podcast, I try to get some bank presidents on um, uh, the podcast, and all of them told me, no way in hell, we're not coming on your podcast. Because if we say what we're really thinking, we're going to spook the market and we're going to piss off all our competitors because uh, uh, bankers tend to move and lenders tend to move in herds. Uh, what I can tell you they're thinking is um, basically, and, and these are this is basically like some conversations I've had with lenders I've known for you know, 15 years. Um, you know, I reached out to them to see see what's going on. What they're telling me is effectively um, they're very concerned. And and the reason they're concerned, I'll I'll put it in two two buckets, if you will. One bucket is the the virus. So we got the virus, and the vaccines, uh, in theory, are coming out in December, this month. And it should get ratcheted up and hopefully get to everybody and anybody who wants it by, say, the second quarter, sometime in the second quarter of 2021. Now, what the lenders tell me is, well, it might be in everyone's arm by 2021, second quarter, but we're going to give it a year to make sure that everything's playing out so that there's not any kind of relapse Because we don't want to aggressively in the market. Why? Because we're cautious. We have to deal with regulators. We have to deal with, uh, you know, basically our businesses that make money by putting out money. Our product is money. So many of them are saying they're going to take a real cautious approach for about a year after the vaccine goes out. So if you do some rough math there, you're saying 2021 is probably going to be a push. There's not going to be very aggressive one day. Now, if you look at the other side, and, and that is commercial real estate. A lot of the commercial real estate, you know, the malls, you know, you got a Publix, you got a Winn Dixie, there's a, there's a cell phone shop, there's a Subway sandwich, uh, there's a nail salon, all that type of stuff. Many of those places aren't paying their landlord, who then has a loan with a commercial bank or with a bank that could be Florida based or it could be out of town. And effectively, the regulators have given these uh, banks a pass saying, don't worry about the landlord not paying you as long as they're in contact. And what will happen is we go into next year, then we'll figure out a way to sort of, uh, you know, see kind of where we stand. And and what I'm being told is now the scrutiny and the screws are going to start to get turned on all these landlords who, who've been falling behind on their mortgages because, you know, the, the, the person owning the nail salon hasn't paid the landlord. Landlord, therefore, hasn't paid the bank. So supposedly as that's playing out, you're going to see some tightening of lending. And the simple reason is... If a bank has a loan and the loan is performing, means uh, whoever the borrower is, they're paying, it's performing. Now, if they stop paying, the bank has to go through certain procedures where they take out some money, they carve it out, they put it on the side, and they can't put it back into the market in case the loan goes bad. So it cuts in. It's, like, it's called the loan loss reserve. So, so in other words, if there's, if there's a loan that might be in trouble, what that ultimately impacts is the amount of money the bank has in its kitty to put out on the street to finance more. And, and so that's sort of where the concern is. Nobody knows how the commercial real estate is going to play out. And as a result of that, banks are pulling back and saying, oh, shit, um, you know, how's this going to play out? So let's just be cautiously optimistic. Let's sort of watch it out. I would tell you, um, expect everything to be status quo, if not worse, probably until the second half of 2021, um, realistically, unless you're dealing with private money and private money is going to charge you more and they're going to put money on the street aggressively. But keep in mind, that's uh, very similar to going to a Shylock.
2: So, Peter, there's a lot to unpack in that answer. So just to start with one question, understanding there's a decent amount of non-performing uh, commercial loans, and that does impact the ability of a bank to make residential mortgage loans. Is, do you see a world in where the stimulus is going to step in and help that? I mean, overall, right now, real estate is kind of keeping the economy afloat. In many places, Miami included, is, is so is government stimulus package subsidies. Is that something that could come in and, and, and prevent that from happening? Are you hearing or seeing anything like that? Well, uh, I, I
0: can tell you everything uh, from everyone I talk to and everything I'm seeing and statistically and things like that, everybody I'm talking to. And, and I had this conversation going back in March when the first thing was breaking uh, when, this ne- when the state of emergency was declared, the pandemic, all that. I talked to a bunch of Wall Street types uh, out of Connecticut, New York, uh, places like that, and I asked them, you know, what do you forecast? And all of them said, basically, we're going to sit on our ass. We're not going to do a thing until there's a vaccine. Why? Because there's no backstop. There's nothing to, to, you know, is, if you play soccer, and I don't, but if somebody plays soccer, you kick a ball at the at the net, and lo and behold, it doesn't go in the net. It goes into the crowd. Well, that crowd is a backstop. That's where the ball, that's all the ball bounces back. But until you got a vaccine, there's no backstop. So, so prices in the economy, it can continue to fall um, in terms of the back, until there's a backstop, which is why all the CARES Act and everything else, what it did is it backstop. It provided that, that wall for the soccer ball to hit and sort of come back. Now that it's basically uh, run out and right. the rest of it will expire by the end of December, you don't have a backstop anymore. So in theory, anybody who got in thinking, okay, the feds are going to bail us out, they're going to backstop us, they're going to be the, the, the wall behind the soccer net when somebody kicks the ball, it's not going to be there come January 1st. Now, you got this push-pull going on between um, outgoing President Trump and incoming President Biden. The problem is, you you know, we're in December, and, you know, the new guy <laughs> doesn't take over until January the 20th, and who the hell knows how Congress is going to play out? Because the Senate could go Democratic, which would mean Biden could push through all his stuff because he's a Democrat, or it could go Republican, which means it could be a stalemate and therefore you won't get a backstop. So, so in other words, nobody knows, but if there's no federal money out there, assume the worst is going to happen because when you kick that soccer ball and it doesn't go in the net, it's going to keep rolling and somebody's got to go get it.
2: Sort of a related question then is right now we also know there's a similar situation's with the residential mortgages, right? There are people that worked in those subways and, and, and maybe even the owners, small business owners that aren't, that have not been paying their mortgage and they've been getting some relief from their banks, but that's about to stop. What do you see? Do you think there is a shadow inventory out there of foreclosures? Um, I I know there's a lot of buyers who want it. Um, I'm getting contacted. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I I know that too. I just I, I I right? That's all the calls I get. When are they coming? And I'm like, I don't even know that they're coming. But 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 if they do, I'll give you a call back.
0: So so what I tell what I tell these buyers and and what I would tell the listener is listen. Um, during the Great Recession that Beth was talking about, you know, back in 07, 08, 09, when real estate was just free falling. Back then, um, we had a corrupt system for foreclosures in South Florida, and what used to happen is you used to go down to the county courthouse, and you sit there, well, you stand there, and there would be these warlords. There would be these groups that basically control the market, and if you tried to come in and you weren't one of these four or five groups, they would basically bid it up on you, and you would say, shit, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to come back. And and they wouldn't always necessarily buy what they had because the, the repercussion was you couldn't bid for another 24 hours if you didn't actually close on something you were the winning bidder on. So that's all it was. They would have somebody fall on their sword and keep everybody out. So the system was corrupt. Deals were made in anticipation. And I got uh, access to seeing this because I knew some guys who played in it. And now what's happened is basically technology has disrupted it. And now if you want to buy a foreclosure... You simply go online. You go online, Dade County. You go online throughout the state of Florida. So anybody who wants to really play the foreclosure game, go online, check it out. But understand, whatever you buy, um, you better make sure you understand what it is, because you might be buying a position. It might be a condo association position on a unit. It's not actually the mortgage where the mortgage takes press, and, you and know, it gets a little bit complicated. So, so I would say anybody who wants to play foreclosure now, go ahead and do that. Now, in terms of the real deals on the foreclosure, no one's going to know, probably for quite some time, because um, you effectively had, under the CARES Act, the first six months, there could be a uh, uh, a forbearance. So if if, if you couldn't pay your mortgage, you could tell the bank, hey, I can't pay my mortgage, assuming it was backed by a federal government entity like Fannie or Freddie. Then you could ask for another six-month extension, which takes you a year out. So let's just do some rough math. CARES Act went into place. Call it April 1st. So you get six months on top of that, which is going to take us effectively till about October. Then you put another six months on top of that. When does that take you? Takes you out to about April or so. So effectively, nothing is going to happen uh, in all reality until probably the second quarter, um, uh, ultimately when the vaccine is in place. But the difference is President Trump uh, in his administration we're much more pro business, if you will, and basically screw everybody else. And this isn't a political comment, this is just like an economic comment. So, you know, let's just let's just, you know, let, let's let let the market sort it out versus President elect Biden, who's coming in, is going to be uh, all talking about the economy and the family and keeping everybody in their home. So that's a long way to say nothing is really going to, you know, the rubber's not going to hit the road until April. And then when it rubber does hit the road because of the new administration, I would expect that there's probably. Probably going to be some sort of bailout or some sort of lifeline or, or safety net that's put in place to help people so they don't get kicked out because what what the, what the economy did learn is during the Great Recession when we went into this uh, free fall of foreclosures what it ultimately did is it, it stalled the market and government learned it's better to keep people on their houses work out ways to help them get out of it and not over or, or uh, you know swamp uh, the real estate market because you got way too many foreclosures on there. So that, that, again, another long answer, but, uh, but 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 a great question.
2: Well, and I guess theoretically, the the other thing I've been hearing just anecdotally is that the lenders have a, a, a limit a limited appetite to own real estate. Like I think that in. You know, back in the real estate recession, you know, the banks having all the foreclosures, REO agents, REO business. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the banks did have some backstop, but I don't know that the banks consider that their core business. I mean, they don't want to be in the real estate business. So I also believe that the banking industry is in support of trying to work out something which doesn't involve them owning as much real estate as they did. Having learned, I think we've all learned something, I hope so, from going through what we went through back in 07, 08, 09. Can you, have you heard anything similarly? Well, yeah, I I think the banks did
0: learn that they they do not want to own real estate. But what I find also interesting is that the banks also, they don't necessarily want to do short sales. I've been looking at the data. Uh, primarily condos. I don't really focus on single-family houses. And just for the audience's perspective, to me, a single-family house is a piece of art. Every single uh, house is unique. It's special. It's different. Uh, whether it's the floorings, it's the walls, it's the additions, it's the sunlight. Um, you know, it's the it's the the lot. It's the fence. Versus a condo, to me, is a commodity that's no different than orange juice and gasoline and pork bellies and sort of anything kind of related to that. And what I will tell you is looking at the condo market only, and that's all I care about. I don't care about single-family houses. Looking at the condo market, you got a lot of people trying to list properties as a short sale, and you're not seeing a lot of traction on that. So what that says to me is that banks don't want to deal. And just sort the listener, if they don't know what a short sale is, effectively you go ahead, you buy a property, you want to, you take out a mortgage, you want to go ahead and sell the property, but lo and behold, the market is free falling, and you owe more than what the property is actually worth. So what you do is you try to bring in a buyer, you list it, you bring in a buyer, buyer and you agree to a price. Then you go to the bank, you say, hey banker, uh, listen, I know I borrowed this from you, but I can't pay you everything, but I got somebody who'll pay you a fraction of it. You think you can let me go? Take a loss on whatever I owe you, and therefore, we avoid foreclosure, which takes a year or so, and um, you're not going to have to pay litigation, and I'm not going to have to damage your place. So that's sort of the push-pull. So people will typically try to do a short sale if they want to be nice with the bank and they want to preserve their credit and they want to help the bank out. But what I'm seeing on the listing side is you got a lot of listings for condos, at least, that are short sales, but banks aren't doing the deals. Now, on the bank-owned side, the REO product, real estate-owned, they are doing those deals. So just for whatever that's
2: worth. Uh, I've got to figure that's because there's some sort of support on the REO side that isn't yet there for the short sale side. Um, Although I don't know how much longer we're going to have short sales when the market and numbers have been going up as much as they have. So I guess that, you know, you did talk about the difference that's going on. You know, right now, the single family housing market, as we know, is just, you know, in fuego. I mean, it is on fire. Everything that lists is selling multiple offers, short period of time. Um, it's going going on. there is a a secondary thought to that that says condos are not far behind because the in-migration to South Florida in particular is still happening and it's increasing and if they can't buy a house, they'll be happy with the condo. We have seen started to see bigger condos following suit, right being in big demand, uh, selling more quickly. What are you seeing for the for the condo market and the you know, Short term and maybe in the 12 to 18 to 24 month window?
0: So, um, yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and um, so, here's my perspective. So, generally speaking, when I look at the realtor, uh, the MLS, you know, this database that people who join the realtor club and they go ahead and they put the information in the, in the database, which just called the MLS. What you typically would find, and Beth, I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but for, based on how looking over the years, typically condos will outpace single-family home transactions. Why? Because condos are cheaper than houses. So as a result, you get more condos trading in a given year than you will single-family homes. Would you agree with me on that, Beth? I, or? I, I agree. Okay, okay, so so right now single family houses are on fire. Why are they on fire? Because no one wants to live around anyone else. There's a damn pandemic. You might (laughs) touch an elevator, button, and lo and behold, you're gonna die. So people are afraid. So what are they so 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 what are they doing? They're going horizontal into a house. And what are they fleeing? They're fleeing a tower of high density. If anybody doesn't know South Florida, 50-story tower is gonna have 500 units, you'll have 1.5 people per unit. So we're talking 750 people and you got 0.5 dogs and there's not a lot of green space, but that's a, that's a different story. So, so, so in other words, people are leaving vertical high density condos and they're going horizontal single family. So the house, the single family house market is booming. The condo market, I would push back and say, I don't think is as strong and I don't think it has anything to stop it from free falling other than. Um, eternal optimism from somebody who overpaid for a unit thinking that it's a condo and Miami is the gateway to Latin America and things only go up here. The same crowd that didn't realize back in 07, 08, 09, that stuff could freefall, and it could freefall pretty dramatically. So what, what I am seeing on the condo side is you have a lot of people with a stiff upper lip, these people all believe in the cause and they're sticking firm on their condo because you know it's the next best thing and Starkitect designed it and designed it and you know they got the best appliances and they have this and they have that. So they're all still believing that. Now what some of those more savvy investors who've been around and they got some battle scars a little long in the tooth what they're doing they're cutting bait. They're taking losses on their condos, penthouses, things like that and you'll see stories in places like the real deal and things like that. Why they cut bait? Cuz they want to get out because they don't know where where and how the market's going to go forward, and they also don't know whether or not um, this is going to be a uh, 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 you know whether or not it's, it's a quick reaction to go single family and then people are going to bounce back in the condos, or it's going to be something a little bit more long term. Is it going to be a September 11th event? Where if you remember back then, Beth, um, the Four Seasons on Brickle, they shut down their sales office because nobody wanted to go into a high rise because you know because of that. Everyone so. was
2: afraid. Yeah, everyone was afraid a plane was going to crash into that. I I do remember.
0: Exactly. So what I'm wondering is, okay, do you really want to go into a condo or are you going to be forced to go into a condo because you can't afford a house just like an essential worker uh, who can't get PPP uh, uh, protective uh, gear is going to be forced to do their job because there's no government stimulus money. So it's kind of one of those push pulls. And again, I think it's kicking the, uh, the can down the road. But if I were taking a position, I would short the condo market. I would absolutely short the condo market because I don't think there's anything there to justify pricing, which was based on a great economy. And, a, um, uh, and people being able to travel. And if people are traveling here from Latin America to buy up some of these condos, who the hell's gonna buy it?
1: Don't buy a South Florida condo, discounted or distressed, before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859.
2: In-migration numbers are up record high. We've never had so many people moving into Miami, South Florida, just called South Florida, and that's expected to continue to grow as this this new remote economy right if you can choose to live and work anywhere why would you not live and work in florida and and you know you put that with the tax situation that still goes on in the northeast and in california and we see more and more people coming in moving here making miami their home a lot of people still want condos i guess Now, let's just, again, play devil's advocate with you. You know, surfaces don't make people that nervous. They don't want to be in an elevator with 15 other people. But touching the button that somebody else just touched doesn't seem to be throwing people into a total panic anymore. So with the shortage of single-family houses and the lack of availability to build more, it seems to me that it's logical to assume that that's going to push back into the condos, that singles, couples, younger people— People, you're going to get outpriced in a single family home market. That's number one. Number two, you may not need all the space. You may not care about the yard. You just need a place to live. So there's a decent number of those people that feels to me like that's still going to support a decent amount of the condo market. you agree or disagree?
0: Well, I would
2: agree
0: with an asterisk. And
2: here's the asterisk.
0: Um, I'd agree that people will be forced to live vertical, meaning in a high-rise, high-density You know, 500 units, 1.5 people per unit, 0.5 dogs, that whole thing. But I don't think they're going to buy. I think they're going to go into some of this shadow inventory that the Realtor Association cannot track. And what is that? That's rentals. And what are these rentals? These are corporate-owned towers that are put up. For instance, if you're driving around, uh, listener, and you see a sign that says, Move in special. Move in today, and you get to see some guy standing out there holding a sign dressed in a chicken outfit, and he's turning this sign around saying, if you move in, you're going to get free months' rent, stuff like that. That's corporate-owned, and because that's corporate-owned, right. these these people don't want to pay a commission. So, therefore, they're not going to go to a realtor who's going to take the information and put it into a database, which is the MLS. They're going to try to lease it themselves to save the commission, and as a result right. of that, this market is not tracked. If you look at what's going on on the listed now again MLS rental market, you're going to see there's about four months of supply. Equilibrium is six months. So if you got four months of supply on the listed, what do you have going on on the shadow
2: inventory? We're in a place like downtown Miami. Yeah, just just in the Brightline buildings. I mean, just look at the Brightline buildings. As as I mean, and thousand.
0: 10,000 units in downtown Miami alone, strictly rental, according to the Miami Downtown Development Authority. And then you have the 10,000 new condos they put up that most people want to turn around and try to rent. So you have a race to the bottom. So I think those people who are priced out, what they're going to do is they're going to say, you know what? I don't want to live vertical, but if I have to, let me rent. Let me go ahead and let me try to lowball and chisel down a cellar who's desperate to get in a rent, because keep in mind, a lot of maintenance fees are going up because these extra costs and these other things associated with COVID are starting to kick in. So let me go ahead, let me rent, let me, let somebody subsidize me to live here, and then I'll figure it out in the future, maybe buy a bad condo, or maybe there's an opportunity to buy a single family. So that would be my, so yes, I agree, but with an asterisk. I think people will rent. I don't think they're going to
2: buy a condo, personally. Second bolster point that I'm going to bring up, it does, it, I do continue to hear from people who I respect that, they believe 2021 is going to see a weakening of the dollar, which will open back up the South American market. And a lot of those people buy sight unseen. We don't have new projects, new buildings coming in. We're not going to have pre-sales of new buildings for at least another 12 to 18 months. It's a five-year delivery cycle. Will they buy resale condos and rent them out?
0: Ooh, good question. Well, I guess to clarify, um, an investor purchases a property, they expect to get a return along the way, and then they expect to make money when they sell it, generally speaking. Someone who buys a property because they think it's going to go up and they're going to subsidize someone to live in there until they ultimately sell it. That's not really an investor. That's a speculator, from, just from my perspective, uh, for the audience's perspective. So, so if you're going out and you're trying to buy a condo that you can turn around and rent. And you can cover your nut, and let's just call it ballpark. Uh, if you get maintenance fees, you're looking at about $0.75 cents a foot per month on the mainland. Call it a buck a foot per month on the, in the uh, on the the beach, on the barrier island. you, right. throw, in ma- you, you throw in taxes. My calculations are $500,000 condos, about $0.83 cents a foot per month. So $250,000 condo is going to cost, you know, $0.41 cents a foot, let's call it. So if you do some rough math, what you're going to find out is if you have mortgage, you're basically lucky, 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 lucky if you paid the right price to make 2 to 3% a year. Um, and it's not straight up because there might be vacancies, there might be other costs. So, so effectively, it's not really an investment buying one of these condos at current pricing. Now, if you can steal a condo and you can buy a distressed and you can, like, run down a building by taking off the bank owns or the short sales and start to deteriorate the pricing. Now you might actually be able to make some money as an investor. So I would tell you, an investor is going to be challenged. A speculator, they can write a check any, any day, any time, because anybody can buy. Anybody can buy. Yeah.
2: Simplest thing to do but in what the world ab- is buy. What about the person that's just looking to park the money and get it out of their country? I mean, we have a lot of that. We've always had a lot of that.
0: Yes. Well, that's a little bit of an interesting question because, you know, they, they have this scenario, so what do they do? Do they go single family and do they think that single family is going to continue to boom the way it is? And I have some doubts about that because I think, you know, you go through a hurricane season, you go through insurance, you, you go through the property taxes, you go through the landscaping and everything else associated with a, with a house Um, you know, I don't know how how long, I mean, people live in condos. One of it is cheaper. The other one, it's convenient. So, you know, I, I I think some of the shine is going to wear off on, on, on this single family house market sometime in, in, in the future. Uh, and then in terms of, um, you know, where and, and, and how do they park their money? Um, listen, if you're, if you're an investor and again, you're looking for a return, I would tell you, don't go into residential, go into commercial. Who the hell wants commercial real estate? Who wants office space? Who wants an office condo? Who wants, you know, who wants the subway shop? There's going to be all types of businesses that'll be available. So if you are looking to make money... Uh, and you're an investor and you're not a speculator, I would tell you commercial would be the way to go, not long-term, but more so short-term, because there will be an opportunity, a window, of all these failed restaurants, all these failed businesses, all the disruption that's occurring. You park your money there short-term with the long-term plan that, okay, I'm going to get back into residential once it kind of, you know, the the smoke clears, and when is that? That's probably sometime in in this uh, late second quarter, um, early third quarter of 2021, like we were talking about, once all of the, you know, the forbearance uh, moratorium and everything else starts to um, uh, play itself out.
2: All right. So just to challenge you a little bit there, and I think it's a, it's a, it, it, this this is a, this is a good exercise. So I got a half a million dollars to spend, right? Yep. I can buy a condo. You just outlined. That's 83 cents a foot to carry cost as long as I can rent it. And well, for eight, 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 on Texas, Texas. Okay. So it's what, two bucks for maintenance and taxes, would you say? Yeah. Called 75 cents a foot on maintenance fees, you know, just
0: ballpark. And it uh, on buck the
2: to, Yeah, about yeah. yeah. fifty two dollars a foot. Yeah. So yeah. so so you could certainly break even in a condo. And in in with that save five hundred thousand dollars, let's just say that you can buy an office condo. Now you got cam, you've got cam fees which are higher than maintenance fees, you've got taxes which are higher, millage rate is higher than residential, so your carry costs are higher. Yeah. Um, does a rent justify that? And if so, who's renting it?
0: Well, and this is where the purchase price becomes paramount. I mean, anything and everything can trade at the right price. It doesn't matter what it is. Office space? Who wants it? Nobody. Retail space? Who wants it? Nobody. At the right price, you might want it. Why? Because you can actually do something with it. I mean, what I learned from the last go-around during the Great Recession, we were going in, we were buying condos, we were buying them by the, you know, by the tens and the, you know, the dozens and in whatever. And and the question was, well, yeah, but what the hell are you going to do once you got it? You take down 100 units. Who that, what that, you know, what are you going to do with it? Well, what I learned, what I always thought, but what I learned by doing it is you cut that rent enough, somebody will figure out a way to go in there. Now, they might cut bait somewhere else where they are. They might terminate a lease. They might break a deal. They might mess up a friendship or a relationship. But if it's the right price, they're actually going to go in there. So I would tell you, if you buy at the right price and you can ultimately reduce the price of the rent to, you know, as low as humanly possible, you will get a tenant in there. And I I think that's what landlords need to be aware of, whether it's residential or it's commercial, buy cheap and therefore rent cheap, undercut every other competitor, and you're going to be able to cover your nut and probably make some money if you do it correctly. But if you go ahead and you over-improve because you think you deserve the best of everything because you earned it, that's the person who's going to get screwed because basically they have an over and property that they're not going to get their money back, especially if it's a commodity, like a condominium. Now, if it's a house, you make a story. Okay, it's a work of art. It's a Picasso. A condo is not a – it's it's a commodity. It's it's like – It's interchangeable. Up. There's, there's yeah. one and on every other floor. Yeah. It's like a gas station. Yeah. You pull up an intersection, you see four gas stations, unless you really care – buying the cheapest gallon at least i I would unless you have a relationship so that's the way you should look at a condo look at a commodity houses completely different story that's a Picasso
2: a few months back at the beginning of COVID i had Lyle Stern on and you know he's a you know big retail guy and just he went through a scenario about Lincoln Road which i thought was interesting right so just to track that and recap what he said you know the rents on Lincoln Road had gotten to be ridiculous. I mean, yep. right before COVID, it was crazy. And I, I, I don't know how anybody could have actually made any money by having a store there, but that that's something different. But now that COVID has happened and the, unit, the retail mix is changing, it does allow for people to do just what you just said undercut the rent to get people to come in and more and more people, whether they're moving from across the street or it's somebody that's been wanting to start a business, do a store, have this, have that, do a new concept because Lincoln road is always going to be Lincoln road. That is happening. I mean, he, he said it, you just said it. And I see it happening with every new announcement I get of the new place opening on Lincoln road and not that it's full of people right now with traffic and COVID, but that's not going to last forever and people are taking advantage of the deals, right? So maybe you're a failed restaurant operator, but you're going to reinvent yourself with a fabulous shoe store, or (laughs) you've gotten into some sort of uh, covid great business that you can open a pop-up or whatever. So retail does seem to make a lot of sense with that. But what about office space? What do you think about that?
0: Well, you know, the the office space is a – I've never been a big believer in the office space to sort of begin with. Um, You know, Miami's got kind of one of these weird scenarios. Um, So generally speaking, in many cities, and let's just talk about downtown Miami, many cities you go into. So people live in the suburbs and they commute into the city. And that's where they work. And then, lo and behold, condos and other things came so people could live closer to work. Well, in Miami, what you found is because the condo boom was going on there in the the last run-up, Ah, uh, 2003 to 10. What you found there is many of the space that much of the space that was earmarked for office hours, they actually build condos on it. So in downtown Miami, you got condos standing on places that should be office. And where does everybody work? They got to go to the suburbs. We have, we tend to do everything backwards here. We do everything backwards. You drive to the suburbs to go to your office in Doral, and, and, and you actually live on Brickle, which is going to probably be, you know be somewhere uh, like like a condo. Um, so what does all that mean? For, <laughs> what, what does that mean for office? I think what's going to happen is government. Government needs to, and I can curse on your podcast, can I, Beth, or no?
2: Yes, yes. Okay, I, can, okay. I, can, I can mark it to be that okay. it's not G-rated, so yes, you can okay. curse.
0: Okay, so government needs to pull its head out of its ass, and it needs yes. to realize that the zoning that they have in place is obsolete. It doesn't make sense. It needs to be disrupted. What do I mean by that, Beth? Well, if you look at a condo tower in downtown Miami, what you're going to find is, okay, it's 50 stories tall and, you know, from the eighth floor higher, it's all condos. Everything below that, maybe there's some loss, but generally speaking, you got office space and you got retail space. And in downtown Miami, it's all failing. None of it was doing good before. And now, lo and behold, it's going to suck. So what do you do? You let the government make a decision that says, okay, why don't we, instead of building a school... Why don't we set up a school system where maybe you know fifth grade is in this building in this office space, and fourth grade is in this building, and blah 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 blah. And why don't we re- rethink the way we do things? And now I think you could have office space making sense, just like we're starting to rethink that we really need as so much parking is necessary rather than you know these old rules about the you know we got to have so many cars per per, uh, per per apartment per things like that. So so basically, I think um, office space it's great savior. Could be zoning, if there's changes in zoning, where that office space can be re, uh, repositioned to be either residential, maybe it could be uh, live work, maybe it could be a whole of schools, maybe it could be religious areas. You know, I, I think this is a golden opportunity. And I, I did a podcast with Kobe Carp, and he was talking about after the pandemic in 1918, things everything was rethought. And and if we're smart, we will adopt this idea that okay, this is the disrupting uh, event, and now going forward. It's sort of like we're beginning a new, you know, like a B.C. versus an A.D. type of scenario. Um, so so maybe this is our time, but it's all going to take the government effectively getting its head out of its ass and, and catching up with the with the real time and allowing sort of the market to dictate uh, what should really happen. But there's no way we need as much office space as we have. And I think Zoom in this pandemic has proven that, at least from my perspective.
2: And in, in that same podcast with Lyle Stern said something al- along the same lines when we talked about shopping malls. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know. Live in Kendall. I live not far from the Falls, and you know they lost both of its anchor tenants. Plus, who knows what else in the middle? And I said, so so, what becomes of of that fabulous shopping center? You know, yeah. it got wiped out in Hurricane Andrew, which rebuilt was more successful than it had ever been, and and it's a beautiful outdoor, gorgeous shopping mall. He said, well, I think that one of the things is this adaptive reuse where they'll make that ad office ad residential to those components there so that you literally effectively have created a little town center in some of these suburban malls, which made great sense to me. I mean, you know, this is why they pay, you know, people the big bucks, not me, because they think of things like that. But with COVID in thinking about that, right, this idea, like I think now if I have to get up, like I used to get up and get dressed and commute for an hour and a half, each way every day. I don't know that I, after 10 months of not doing that, if I can wrap my mind around doing that again, and I can't feel like I'm the only person that feels that way now. You know, I'm not going to waste three hours a day in the car just to get to an office to turn around and come back. I just, I want those three hours in my day back. So this kind of adaptive reuse where you can live, work, play, and in, 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 in all in a general area, which has to do with speaks to the zoning, does seem to be a smart way to approach and I think speaks to the mindset of many people in the post-COVID world because they don't want to do that. They don't want to commute. They don't want to go to a big building. They don't want to be involved with a lot of people. So these smaller pod-type existence does seem to make some sense for what's going to be sort of a different world when we emerge out of this. Have you thought about any of that adaptive reuse? Well, well, I
0: have, Beth, and, and, and I don't know how you'll feel about this. And this is something Kobe Carp raised. Um, you know, you were talking about how many people are coming to Florida. So you got all these people coming to Florida. Oh, my God, we got no room. We got to save the Everglades, got to save the alligator, got the urban development boundary line. What the hell are we going to do? Well, Kobe raised the issue, and so have others. Why does single-family house uh, have to dominate a block? Why can't you put mixed use? Why can't you put towers there? Yeah. Why, you know, so, so what does that mean for single-family? Does it mean single-family houses are going to go up in value? Because now you can sell them to be torn down, um, and you can put a tower on there, or, or maybe there's going to be less of it. It's going to be like going to a place like Golden, um, uh, like Sunny Isles. But if anyone's never been to Sunny Isles, it's up in northeast Miami-Dade oh. County, and on one side you got all high rises that are 50 and 60 stories tall. On the other side, you got like two-story retail, schlocky retail, or you got this little area where you got single-family houses. There's got to be like hundred houses in this town, um, you know. And the houses I've been in some of them, and they're extremely shitty. But they're they're worth so much because there's not too many houses. So you got to wonder as we go forward, are we going to become like a New York uh, metro area where everything is going to be vertical and actually having a single family house is going to be a luxury? So, you know, Kendall and places like that, maybe they're going to, you know, get an extra shine because everything closer is going to go vertical in some of these houses that we have in places like Shenandoah. And, and the roads are going to go, uh, you know, vertical. So just sort of a concept. I, I can see that coming down the pike to deal with the point you raised, Beth, which is people coming to South Florida and wanting to live here and not needing to be in New York or anywhere else anymore.
2: Right. And maybe it's mid-rise and maybe it's a mixture. I mean, I, you know, still go back to this, you know, walkability, walkability is So very important to many people buying today, right? I mean, they really want to be able to walk out their door. Like we talk about Brickle, and I think the success of the condo market in Brickle is even even in COVID, you go, people are out on the streets, they're walking around, the restaurants are open, there's life there, right? I think that the suburbs have lost some of their shine because it's dark at night. There's nothing. You got to get in your car to go everywhere. I don't know that some of this isn't also incorporated to this rezoning, what do these things look like? Because a suburb isn't walkable. It's only walkable if you're out doing your exercise, but you can't walk to go anywhere, right? You can't walk to go to the grocery store. You can't walk to go get a coffee. You can't there is no walkability in a suburb. So this adaptive reuse, if you look at a single family housing subdivision, so maybe it's a mid-rise building, a couple of single family houses, a coffee shop, right? You convert a house to a coffee shop, a little way kind of conversion, right? where you've got a residence, you've got a boutique, a a real estate office, got to have the real estate office, (laughs) a real estate (laughs) office, a coffee shop, right? Maybe, Maybe that's what this, if the zoning would relax some, it would create these little mini centers that aren't of mixed type of zoning that would allow for people to live and also have a life within walking proximity to where they're living. And that could happen in the suburbs as well as in places like Shenandoah.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Well, I, I would tell you, Beth, I, have you ever had a chance to go to uh, Singapore? No. Okay, so, so in my opinion, Singapore is a combination of Aventura, which nicely landscaped uh, lawns, and sunny isles with high-rises. Okay, so it's a little island, and, and I did an Airbnb there. I was traveling throughout Asia, and I did an Airbnb. I stayed with a woman who is in the um, marine industry, so she moves. So she, she does contracts for containers, you know, going all around the world, and, and about 1130 at night, uh, she went out jogging. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, I am renting a room from her, whatever. She goes out of jogging, and I said, you, you know, you want me to go with you? And I'm, no, 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 I'm going home. So I ended up going with her, anyways. And she can go anywhere, three in the morning, on her own. She's about five foot tall, you know, 100 pounds, running around and not worried about anything. And why is that? Because they have cameras on every single corner. Now, I think if you want to actually make downtown Miami, which still has a little, you know, it's got some sketchy parts, some dicey parts, homeless guys, and crazy stuff going on. Um, you know, you bring cameras in, but then there's the push-pull of civil liberties, where you know I think much many more people would really take to downtown Miami rather than Brickle, because brickle has got the density. It's got people living anywhere downtown Miami on the north side of the river. It doesn't have enough density, and as a result, everybody's afraid to walk uh, uh, after the sort of the sun goes down, and, and because you know it's the security aspect. So if there was a way that somehow, some way. The city of Miami could figure out a way to bring the security aspect where people could feel comfortable at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night like this, uh, you know, 100-pound woman I met in Singapore was able to go out running on her own and not, you know, and having no fear whatsoever. I think that would bolster our market so quickly where people then could give up the car, but I think at this point there's still a little concern about, um, you know, their their own personal well-being. Uh, you know, there's guys as well, but, but primarily women mm. in, and, in and around that area. I don't know how you deal with that kind mm. of civil liberty, but, but that's something simple I think would bolster, uh, you know, downtown Miami and vertical living overnight, personally.
2: It's a couple of things. So, you know, north of the bridge there, you know, all those office buildings have no life at street level. Yep. So they vacate at night, everybody leaves. So, yep. you know, maybe some of those office buildings convert to condo buildings that brings in more people at some point, maybe that's, that's the next conversion round. Like since we're, uh, since we're speculating here, maybe that's the next conversion round. Uh, an office building converts to a, a, a condo building and that creates more life, but the cameras, the cameras are already there. So to me, it's not a question of if it's just the number. So you know, I mean, if people don't realize that they're on camera all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> adding a few more, in my mind, isn't going to make any difference if it creates safety. So uh, I, I, I think that's that's a good suggestion. So Peter, what other indicators are you looking at? We've got all this stuff going on. What what do you as we get into twenty twenty one? What what are the things you're watching? What are you tracking?
0: Um, Pay attention to the advertisements you're getting for, for financing. I would tell everybody that's that's first and foremost. Watch financing. So if you're getting an offer that says, oh, this is an incredible mortgage and we'll do this, we'll do that for you, ask yourself, is it a bank or is it a private lender? Is it a bank or a private lender? And we already talked about the difference between a, a bank, which is FDIC. Uh, insured and plays by certain rules versus the private lender, which basically can kind of do whatever they want. And the reason I say that is if you see the banks aggressively trying to market and put money on the street. And by the way, they just raised the conforming loan amount. I think it's somewhere in the ballpark now of about 450 grand or so. So it's pretty yeah. sizable. It's going to be big for 2021. So if you see banks advertising that, uh, you know, hey, You know, Remember, Rocket Rocket Mortgage was doing it. Everybody was doing it. Watch that. That'll be a great indicator as to whether or not money's going to be on the street. If you see a lot of advertising for banks wanting to finance, chances are that's a great indicator money's on the street and the market prices should be going up. If you see mostly private money uh, offering or advertising, that means money's going to probably be more expensive and you're probably not going to see as much of an uptick. That would be one thing I'd I'd suggest. Another thing I would suggest is look at the price of gasoline. Um I don't have a car haven't had one since 13 um but but watch watch how much is it per gallon um, as oil starts to get, as prices get higher, unless there's a war, generally means the economy, the world economy is coming back because people want more oil. Granted, you got electric cars and things like that, but generally speaking, as oil prices go up or gasoline prices go up, that means the economy is humming. If they are down, that means the economy overall worldwide is struggling. So that's another great indicator. And then also too, I'd look at currency. Pay attention to the dollar uh, versus the euro, and also pay attention to the dollar versus I don't know the Colombian peso. Or the Brazilian real, or something like that, but in the Canadian um, the Canadian loonie as well. So I would I would pay attention to those, and then all of that will apply to South Florida, why? Because we're so diverse, and we have so much cultural affinity with people all over the world, and we're we're going to be more impacted by international more so than like a you know a Jacksonville, which is more domestic oriented. So those would be my suggestions.
2: A- any thoughts on on the Biden appointment so far, Janet Yellen? I mean, what do, what do you, any thoughts on? on how that could change things? Well, well, I think what's going to
0: happen is, um, and, and, you know, I don't know anything from anything, but what I think is going to happen is by bringing in Janet Yellen to be the head of treasury. Um, uh, she obviously used to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Uh, she knows everybody. She knows all the players. She knows all that type of stuff. So to me that what that suggests, and and there was a, there was a comment made today about trying to get in place, a stimulus package of, you know, less than a, trillion dollars or so, which is what the Republicans wanted uh, before the election, trying to push that through. And Biden suggested that he, you know, that would just be the beginning. He would dump a bunch of cash in it. I think what's going to happen is uh, Yellen, because of her relationships and her understanding and her uh, and the confidence people have in her based on what she did as the chairman of the Federal Reserve, I think they're probably going to flood the market with money because I think they're going to try to shut down uh, the economy. And the only way you can shut down the economy to get COVID under control um, is to flood it with money. Now, granted, the vaccine should be in everybody's arm if they want it by May or so, but but I think there's going to be an abrupt step to try to, you, you know, basically have it and, and, and get it under control rather than letting it run, run wild. Yeah, but, I think Yellen's yeah. critical for that.
1: Challenging Times
0: for Real Estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com.
2: You were talked about later, you know, the backstops. The backstops are, are disappearing. And with the backstops disappearing, you're going to get more and more fallout in the economy. I mean, we just really haven't. A- Felt it yet? So, so I, I guess that that kind of goes back. This COVID impact. I mean, I remember as as we first went into quarantine, and I'm sure you agree with me. We all thought that the real estate market was just going to crumble afterwards. you are preparing ourselves for the worst. What yes. do you think created this boom that we're having? Like, I, I figure I don't try to think about it too hard because I'm just fundamentally very thankful for it. Um, yes. Because it's, it's an unexpected <laughs> surprise. I love that I was wrong. I love that <laughs> I'm happy to be wrong if this is a result. What, what do you think is this COVID impact and, on the market and how it's really created this boom that we're experiencing? And how long is it going to last?
0: Well, uh, and again, I'm not going to be politically correct. I think it was old people. Old people. And what do I mean by old people? Old people have the money. The young people don't have the money. The old people have it. And they said, holy shit, within a span of three weeks, I could die or someone I'm close to could die. What am I saving my money for if not to basically live my life and live a good life and have a life with my family? And I think what they did is all of these reservations they had about how they were going to do it and their financial planning, I think they threw it all out the window, and they all threw in and they went into single-family houses because – they didn't know how long this thing was going to last. And nobody knew. I mean, you remember, Beth, when, you, when it first started going down, you know, if you had your anything delivered, you'd have to wipe down the Amazon package because you didn't oh, want to no. bring I COVID into your house. So, so I think that's what triggered a lot of the single-family house buying. It was just this idea that, oh, my God, I'm saving this money. What am I saving it for? Let me go ahead and spend it. I think you're going to see that start to pull back a little bit um, uh, 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 personally, and I think there might be some buyer's uh, remorse in terms of people getting into single-family houses that they don't want. I'm not suggesting that there's going to be a buy-in-the-dip opportunity for investors, um, but but I think there's some people who probably bought a single-family house and they, they're coming to realize, um, especially as hurricane season comes and the insurance comes, that, oh, shit, what did I do, especially once uh, there's vaccines in everybody's home.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think a family home is not for everybody, right? I mean, I think fundamentally that's true. I think the other thing that, I mean, I was watching it happen, but I didn't really realize it was going to impact the real estate market is that so many people made money during COVID in the stock market. Oh, and like- people have been taking it out and buying, like, this is what's fueling the super high-end, like the you know $20 million-plus sale. Is, you know, people that have made exorbitant amount of money in the stock market and are divesting some of that money and, and putting it into real estate, which, you know, makes sense in, like, we're the happy recipients. How long, what, when, when do you think we're going to start to see this dive off? Just a guess.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Beth, I remember, and, I, and we were talking about Great Recession, and let me just sort of uh, uh, compare it. So I remember during the Great Recession, before it hit or right as it was hitting, and real estate, were, remember real estate prices were booming, 04, when they were just off the charts because you had the hurricanes coming through. They were driving Great, up costs. Yeah. yeah, construction, everything was going up. And The Economist magazine at the time said we were effectively taking out a 10 year cash advance. We're taking of cash advances. It's going to take us ten years to get back to where we, we really should should have been. I have a feeling this stock market run up is, we're going to go into a lull, especially with the current administration coming in, which is going to be much more about protecting the family, and you know, it's not necessarily going to be about the capitalists. It'll be more so about the control of capitalism, you know, with touchy feely. I got a feeling we're probably going to go into a little bit of a lull. So these people who are buying today, they might have some regret that they bought at the top of the market. And, uh, and prices, you know, they're not going to be going up that much more. I mean, how much more can Tesla go up? How much more can Apple? I mean, come on. Google, how much more can it go up? I, it's
2: impossible. I I, I, don't, I, I I keep saying that, Peter, but, but then it keeps going up. I mean, like, I, I just feel like the older I get, the less I know I'm thinking. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it, yeah, but I, I really can't. I can't. I mean, I agree with you. But common sense tells you. But common sense would never have told me that we were going to have this. <laughs> Real estate boom after quarantine. So well, I, I don't know about my common sense anymore. I think my common don't sense forget, needs
0: adjusting. <laughs> don't, for, don't forget the Federal Reserve and what they did for interest rates. They're, they're basically, it's free money. It, it's, the interest yeah. rate is below inflation. And when the, when the right. inflation numbers start to go up, you're actually going to be, I mean, it's significantly below inflation. So, so, you know, you start to bring that some normalcy there, and, you know, this stuff is going to um, uh, get in, in, in tune. But, but I, would just, I would just pose this question. This is rhetorical. Um, um, so, so anybody who went out there and they bought a house or they bought a condo and they paid top dollar, and if they're expecting to get 10% appreciation or 20% appreciation on their money like they were getting in the stock market, ask themselves, how much does their house have to go up? And how much do they have to be able to sell it for in order to achieve that? And do they really think someone will come down the stream, down uh, down the turnpike, and pay them that? And if they think they should, I would suggest to them sell it. Sell it now and take the cash and go rent something rather than thinking that what you bought is going to continue to go up because... You know, as we start to read the tea leaves and you start to see some consistency and some predictability, people tend to uh, stop overreacting, which is what we all did when the pandemic was first breaking. At least I know I, know I did and everybody I know
2: uh, was overreacting. you yeah. took dramatic actions. I do suppose just in difference, like thinking back to oh five oh six, I did hear that a lot more, right? And we're going to appreciate 10% a year. I remember I was in a sales meeting talking about, um, you know, giving a sales meeting in the EWM Miami beach office. And I was just talking about like kind of thinking out loud and yep. talking to the group there about what they were seeing. And they had those crazy negative amortization loans. And I, I, I posed the question, right. Cause I mean, it was when things were really bumping. And I said to the group, I said, I don't understand. Like, how does somebody make the decision in their mind to get a loan that they're going to owe more than they originally borrowed? Right. I mean, it's (laughs) like, like, I don't know to me, maybe that's like old school. Like you get a mortgage and you, you pay it down. Like you want to owe less when you go to sell it, then more. And, and so, you know, somebody came and said, no, well, listen, it's just about the numbers, right? You go down, you get the cheapest money you could possibly get because you're interest rate is not going to rise as fast as your appreciation so that was i like a light bulb went on i thought like you really think that so yeah so this is this was the investor mentality back in that day is that i can borrow i don't care if i'm going to owe more because long before it adjusts i'm going to sell it and have made my money the Mm -hmm. rate of appreciation is much faster right so so that gave me like some insight now i really haven't heard that kind of conversation around this boom of a market. It feels much more stable. I don't think that people are rushing in. I don't think they're taking out HELOCs, although somebody said that. They're they're not taking out home equity loans to buy investment property because they're going to make money. Like I, I don't feel that frenzy around people investing. Mm-hmm. This feels like solid. It's like I have money. It can sit in the bank. Or it can sit in the stock market, but I don't really think that Google, Tesla, and Apple are going to go up anymore. So let me take the money and put it someplace else. What place better than to buy that second home that I've had my eye on or buy that place on the beach that I really wanted to lose or upgrade where I live? So it feels to me like this is a much more mature decision-making process, and it's not fueled by all this kind of craziness. Uh, I don't know what you want to call that spitball economy of well I don't have to this is going to last forever I don't feel that bubblishness that I felt back in those days I mean things seem to be making common you know good sense to me at this point are you seeing any of that irrational exuberance well I, I would I mean the where I
0: see the irrational exuberance is going to be on the, uh, the realtor side some of the realtors I talk to um, you know They just think, I mean, listen, anybody who's listening, let let me just throw this out there. And I'm dating myself. I got here in 1993. When you're talking to a realtor and they're telling you that prices are going to go up, ask them where they were during the Great Recession. Ask them if they were selling real estate. If they were selling real estate and they tell you something, um, I would say not because they got a couple more gray hairs, but because they went through it. Chances are what they're going to tell you, it's probably going to be a little bit more in the middle. It'll be adjusted versus somebody uh, who, who came into the industry. I mean, keep in mind, our, our boom, this cycle began at about 11, at least on a comma side. And as a result, we got yeah. a ton of people who came into the industry. They didn't go through the downturn. They, did, they don't, they, they, you I know, know they're, they're repeating the same stuff I heard. And <laughs> Beth, <laughs> you know, that you were talking about in your meeting. I heard this stuff in 05 and 06. Um, you know, now it'll never go down the gateway to Latin America. Blah blah. blah this, and that. I'm hearing the same stuff because they haven't gone through it. So, so you know, it's important. Ask the person, have they been through it before? And if they've been through it before, like Beth has or I have, chances are they're going to give you a straight up talk. Now they might still sugarcoat it, but at least you're going to get some balance versus someone who's never gone through it before. Are you really going to listen to them? And then the other thing I would I would sort of suggest, do your own homework. State of Florida is great. They have all kinds of information online. Go online. Don't be a lazy sob. Go and look at government records. Look and see what something traded for. Don't rely on someone else to do it for you. Use the realtor to do what they do, and that's to help you identify a property and negotiate it. But you do the research. Don't expect them to do it. And then when shit goes sideways, don't blame them because you're the lazy SOB who didn't do it. So I I would just tell people, you know, everything's out there for you to do, and use the realtor for what they do. But don't necessarily rely on them. Trust yourself. Because if you rely on someone else, chances are you're going to get screwed, my perspective. (laughs)
2: So, so, final question before we get into the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. What's what's the buy? Peter Zaluski says buy now. What? Um, so, I'm getting a lot of calls
0: about things like that. The buy is very simple: replacement cost. Replacement cost. Whatever you want to buy, what does it cost to reproduce it? What does it cost? Doesn't matter if it's a condo, it's a house, it's anything else. Buy for base what replacement cost is and why is that? Because the best way to feel confident in playing the game when you don't know what the game is and where it's going, which is what we we don't know what's going on right now with the economy. We don't know what the new administration is going to do. We don't know if the vaccines are going to work. We don't know any of that. So how do, you, how do you backstop that? How do you justify it? How do you hedge it? You buy it for what it costs to actually do it. And if you really love something, make an adjustment. Put a little bit more on there because, you know, it's the sentimental uh, aspect. But if you buy it what it costs, you can't go wrong. Now, somebody might get a better deal than you, but you're still fine because if someone's going to build it again, it's going to cost them that. So that's what I would tell you what to do because the concern is uh, I don't want to catch a falling knife. Anybody says I'm going to go in and I'm going I'm yeah. to buy at a price, and lo and behold, the market's going to fall, and I'm gonna, and the knife's going to fall, and I'm going to go to catch it, I'm going to cut my hand. So who cares? Buy it at a price that's replacement cost and make an adjustment if you're emotionally attached to it. And if you play by those rules, it doesn't matter what the market conditions are. And it doesn't matter what you're buying because it, lo and behold, you're always going to be able to get out of it and you'll always be backstopped and stabilized. That's, that's my, that would be my, my take. What, what about you? Beth? I
2: think it's what, awesome Beth? advice. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I feel like if I had money to buy today, I'd be out looking for condo deals because I think you can still get them. I think they yes. are there. I think people need to sell. I think that today's a good day to buy a condo. I think yep. that once the market gets a bit tighter, that may not be the case because again, we're, Hard to believe, but we're running out of inventory. So, and there is no new stuff coming on. Like I said, early cycle talks now with with the next wave, but it's five years out. I mean, there's not going to be product to move into for for five years. So what we have out there is what we're going to have to live with essentially for the next five years, unless, again, we get into these like adaptive reuses, conversions, that sort of thing, but that's not going to give, I don't think, a tremendous Number of units in the inventory that's going to make a significant impact at any one time. So, today, what I'm saying is somebody asked me, I'm saying look for a good condo deal. Single family houses, again, you've got to buy there to live there. You want a house, buy a house. And you, but you just sort of have to not, you have to know that you're probably not making the world's greatest deal because and, the market's <laughs> short. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not. I understand it's, that you want to buy a house, like, you shouldn't buy a house because. <laughs> to make money on it you should buy a house because you want to buy a house and live there with your with with whoever it is that you live with and be happy with it but if you don't have to buy a house buy a condo you're going to get a better deal today and don't put a
0: swimming pool in leave it don't buy a house with a swimming pool and don't put one in let have the grass there let somebody else be smarter than you let them spend the money. Let them waste the money on the swimming pool. It's just like don't you don't buy a boat. You're buddies with somebody who has a boat. You don't buy your own boat because it's a it's a loser. So so when you're looking for a house, make sure you don't have a house with a swimming pool because it's only gonna be it's only gonna be a, you know it's gonna run down or it's gonna run up your expenses and you're not gonna even use the damn thing.
2: <laughs> do you agree about or what I, I, I do i do i do i don't know the boat don't know the boat but my house does have a pool i will say that but i didn't put it in <laughs> so
1: are you a primary user or a real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted south florida condo are you searching in the markets of greater downtown miami miami beach north to sunny isles beach hollywood north to fort lauderdale or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condor Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condor Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condor Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, com. Okay,
2: you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. Where were you born? Chicago. What's your birth order? Uh, Oldest of two. Oldest of two, brother or sister? Brother. What's your academic
0: background? Uh, I got a bachelor in journalism from the University of Missouri. Go Tigers.
2: (laughs) Who do, you, who do you think was your best
0: teacher? Ooh, lightning round. How the hell am I supposed to figure that out? Um, lightning round. Uh, I think Tom Dixon. Tom Dixon is an appraiser. Tom Dixon is a, um, he's just a wise Tom Dixon. gentleman. He knows a little bit about everything. He knows about sailing, uh, patience, stuff like that. I think Tom Dixon. Um, yeah, yeah. And if anybody doesn't know Tom Dixon, you should uh, look for his, uh, if he does podcasts, or look for his videos. Fantastic gentleman.
2: Yeah, he, he is. I, I met him early in my real estate career um, to, I think, a board function it was. But he he is he is a wise one. It's a good one. Uh, what was your first job in life?
0: First job in life, I worked at a pharmacy and I was stocking shelves back in the day
2: when independents would own pharmacies in neighborhoods. That was nice. I remember those days. Uh, who do you consider your best mentor? Best mentor? Um...
0: On the real estate side, it would probably be my father and mother simply because they didn't have a formal education in real estate. They rolled up the sleeves. They did it their way. And in Chicago, they were able to do things uh, you can't necessarily do in Miami in terms of your way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think,
2: I, I think I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> where, do, where do you live and what do you like best about your home? Um, well, uh, first and foremost,
0: I am not emotionally attached to real estate. Anybody who does get emotionally attached to real estate, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. It's simply a place you should be staying, um, uh, from my perspective. And, and, and you need to be able to, there, there, there's a movie called Heat. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's with Paci- El Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro. There's a line in there. You need to be able to fly in two minutes if, when the heat comes. These guys were bad guys, and, and so uh, De Niro was a, was, was a bad guy, and Pacino was a good guy. He was the cop. And the idea was, whatever you're doing, you gotta be able to basically fly in two minutes. So the point is, I'm a minimalist. I don't get attached to things. Um, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a millennial, but I kind of have that uh, perspective where I'm about the experience, not about collecting things. So uh, I live in downtown Miami. Um, I'm not attached to it. If somebody gives me more um, <laughs> than it's worth, I'll sell it in a second. If somebody gives me cheaper rent somewhere, I will take it in a second. So
2: that that's no emotional attachment whatsoever traveling light are you always 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 speaking of which what's your favorite vacation spot uh favorite uh india india
0: india i was planning this year to take a train from mumbai all the way uh, down the coast up to calcutta and then go to a place called varanasi which is actually uh on the uh, ganges where they burn all the bodies uh, um uh, as people die the hindu religion I was going to go there and obviously it got pushed back because of this as soon as it opens again i will be making that trip and i'll be riding the train with a backpack and i'm not going first class i'm going second class <laughs> yeah, you've
2: done this before you've done I've this done before. It before i think it's amazing <laughs> i think it's amazing that you do this like i can't I, I i just i can't imagine you do travel light you travel very light uh, what's the morning routine um
0: uh... I don't do anything before noon uh, where it takes my mind. Uh, I tend to do my cooking, my gardening, uh, everything I'm going to do, I do before noon because it takes me that long to wake up. doesn't matter if I get up at 6 a.m. or I get up at 10 a.m. Until noon, I can't do anything. And I blame the newspaper industry. I was a journalist for 13 years, and then I wrote columns for the Herald and the Miami Miami Herald and the Real Deal. Um, Everything in the newspaper industry, because they would be printed in the morning, which meant you had an evening deadline. And and the paper would be put to bed, as they said, typically about 1 o'clock in the morning. So as a result,
2: I've always been a night owl. So anything in the morning, I'm basically, I'm useless. I like that. You know, I have so people on and they talk about how they get up at 5 a.m. and they journal and they exercise something. This is (laughs) me. No, I'm not the morning person. It it makes me feel guilty. Like I I haven't done something right in my life that I'm not that person that jumps out of bed every morning and embraces the day. So uh, thank (laughs) thank you for the support. (laughs) What do you consider what do you consider your best success and your biggest failure? Um probably the biggest failure would be well,
0: you know what? Um probably the best success is traveling. Um, uh, I I like to look at travel. I think whatever your age is, you need to have visited that many countries. So if you're 70, you should have gone to 70 countries. If you're 30, you need to go to 30 countries. And why is that? Because I think when you travel abroad, you come back and you appreciate the United States so much more. And you appreciate South Florida because of the diversity, because of these different ideas and this mindset and this, this capitalistic approach. So, so travel is definitely, um, uh, probably the biggest, uh, success. And then on the, um, probably the biggest failure, um, well, I'm a Cubs fan and, uh, the Cubs have only won one <laughs> world series in, uh, in baseball <laughs> since 1908, and the year they won it, the time they won it, I wasn't in the United States watching it. I was in uh, Phuket, Thailand, uh, in some, <laughs> some little backpacker type of place, and I couldn't watch it. I was trying to watch it online, and I couldn't. So that's probably my biggest failure. But I do take pride in pissing off a lot of bankers and real estate developers, so I would also put that up there with uh, some of my greatest success. Okay.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Do you, do, you have any, uh, do you have any aspirational goals?
0: uh aspirational goal yeah what what i want to do and i and i was i was going to do this this cycle um and then the boom sort of took off what i want to do is i want to create a company that rates condominium associations based on financial wherewithal i want you to be able to go into a condo and instead of looking at 300 page document that basically is talking about stuff you don't really care about I want you to be able to basically pay for a report and get an idea. Does this thing make sense? Does it not make sense? And if I buy it, am I going to get screwed or am I likely to have an upside? The same way that ratings come out on different publicly traded stocks and governments. Um, I like to do that for condominium buildings, uh, condominium associations, just to bring some clarity to a market
2: which is completely, completely, completely antiquated. Well, and just talk about lack of transparency. Oh boy, uh, what a great yep. idea, Peter! I, I hope that you. I hope that you get to that. I think that would be incredibly useful, and for everybody that's out there. I mean, it's just hard. You don't know what you're getting into, and I think the condo association, depending on, or the homeowners association, depending on where you buy, can make all the difference in what your living experience is day to day. The condo itself can be as beautiful. It can have everything you want. You can get it at replacement cost, but if the association is badly run, badly managed, badly financed, and it, you can, it can make your living experience so terrible that you just can't wait to move. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Can't wait to see that happen. So Peter, where can people connect with you? Uh, probably the uh,
0: easiest way is to send me an email. You can send it to uh, Peter condo condovultures.com. Um, C O N D O V U L T U R E S dot com, or they can uh, send me a WhatsApp, 305 321 7383. 305 321 7383. I won't answer your call. Um, if you send me a WhatsApp, I'll respond to it. But uh, yeah, I don't typically take the calls from anyone. So, but WhatsApp um, and, uh, and call me at night or text me at night because I'm definitely not up there in the morning.
2: <laughs> well, Thank you so much, Peter. As always, it's great talking to you. I love the insights that you bring. You've made an hour go by like it was five minutes. And it reminds me, it's just been so long since we've caught up. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate your opinion and your time, as always, and wish you continued success.
0: And the same goes to you, Beth. Congratulations with everything you're doing at Compass. Congratulations on building a great entity and organization down here. And uh, I still hope you stay safe. I hope you stay healthy, and uh, we'll get through this damn pandemic. And then who knows? Maybe I'll convince you grab a backpack, jump on a plane, go with me to India, and we'll ride the trains.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I did this post-COVID. Plus, I'm way behind in my countries for age. I got a lot of traveling I need to be going. I need to be doing. So Let's you go. know, I got to catch up with that. So Dali, Dali, I'm there. Thank you, thank you, Peter. <laughs> Bye, Beth. Ciao, ciao.